Real News Radio. True, honest, and not fake news. Now, uh, we're going to start this block of real news. Your honest, true, and not fake news of Penn State. Starting today with Riley Cooper. How's it going, Riley? Pretty good. Uh, Riley Cooper is a freshman majoring in international politics who's running to become a member of the state college borough council. Now, before I get any further, what exactly is that? Because I'm not quite aware of that. So the state college borough council is actually the government that runs the state college borough. So you have seven members of council plus the mayor and the council members vote on all of the ordinances that are passed within the borough. So like the zoning ordinances, the different resolutions that you see going on, and they're the ones who manage the budget and take care of pretty much everything in the town. Okay. Very important uh, position, definitely. And what's interesting about your run uh, that I didn't know is that the last student to actually get a seat on the borough council was Dean Phillips way back in 1973. He served there for more than three years as an undergraduate student. So if you want, it's a very historic win, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. The last time anyone's, any student sat on borough council Princess Diana was still alive. Oh, wow. Nixon was <laughs> starting impeachment trials. Ford had just taken office. So it's been quite some time since there's really been any student representation on Borough Council. So why did you decide to run for this? Because obviously not many people do this. Like, what was your main motivation for going for this? So my main motivation was the sort of disconnect you see between the Penn State community between the disconnect you see between the Penn State community and the downtown area and the surrounding areas that make up the borough. Because you see students who have their views and you see townspeople who have their views, but they're not communicating with each other. Right. And there's not a lot that's productively being done because there's a lack of communication. So it's basically like Congress. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could say that. Yeah. We don't really want to like cross over into other territory right. and communicate <laughs> with each other. Okay, yeah, that's pretty cool. Because um, I think that's actually a really good idea because I don't know much about the local government, but it sounds like it's just like a lot of governments where it's a big disconnect between the people and the people in power, really. Yeah, you do see a like a decent amount of disconnect. And what's happening is you see students coming and brigading specific meetings, oh, but they're right. not showing, they're showing up at the end. When these resolutions are in their final stages, these bills are in their final stages, they're ready to pretty much be signed, mm -hmm. voted on, passed almost unanimously. And then the students come and brigade the borough council and just make demands Okay. instead of coming into the early stages and trying to work with people. So I'm hoping that by like running for borough council, I can encourage students to come out more to meetings, to come out more to just see what's going on in the community because you can't brigade at the very end and just hope that things are going to get done your way. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. You know, definitely get people more involved at the beginning. Um, so with that said, like, do you have any major policies that you're pushing with this? Do you have any main, like, things you want to get done other than bridging the gap? Yeah, so I want to improve the quality of life for all residents. I want to hold property managers uh, more accountable because a lot of times you see rental properties that have just kind of been left to d rot and mm -hmm. people are living there students come and go out of these properties and they might be paying like lower rent lower rent on these properties but they're still not livable properties so i'm hoping to hold property managers more accountable like over the summer a girl 
was on a roof okay. and was electrocuted. Oh, jeez. Because no one really emphasized, hey, you can't go sit out on this roof. <laughs> there wasn't a property manager making sure that, A, the wire was, like, the wires were too low, so that's why she was electrocuted. But, okay. So there, it's a big safety issue as well as just, a live, like, you shouldn't be living in a worn down property. Like, you should be living in something that's high quality. Not, yeah, that's high quality. That's definitely something that's actually, like, livable and respectable. I also really want to focus on improving safety. Mm -hmm. I know that streetlights is something that's really big and a lot of other people are pushing, mm -hmm. but I also, you can't put streetlights in an alleyway. It's illegal unless you get the permission of the people who own the alleyways mm -hmm. because the people who own the property actually own the alleyways. Right. So that's a whole big legal issue. But what we could do is like we have blue lights on campus, put more blue lights downtown so that people can feel safe and they can go and call if there is an emergency. And I'm also hoping to create an auxiliary police force like we have on campus to focus on student safety downtown so that people aren't just immediately getting slammed with an underage or uh, public drunkenness, but instead someone's there helping them get safely back to their dorm or safely back to their apartment or to the emergency room if need be. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense because like, you know, a lot, it seems like half the school is in the dorms, half the school is like off campus. So you basically want more regulation on the living conditions of those areas, right? Yeah. I want, okay. yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so, like, I was reading online, like, another thing that you want to, um, I think it was on, like, an Onward State article that you were very pro-transgender. Uh, do you have any policy specific to that? Uh, not specific to that. Uh, a lot of, like, restaurants downtown already have their own gender-neutral bathrooms. Like, you walk into Webster's and mm -hmm. it's just use whichever bathroom you want because they're just a single bathroom, so it's like any other unisex bathroom. I don't have anything specific to that that I, like, want to pass in the borough because there's not much as a borough that you can pass. Boroughs don't have as much power as people think they do, mm -hmm. but I would definitely help with lobbying at the state level. Um, there's hate crime laws that are currently being worked on to protect the LGBT community because currently they aren't considered a protected class at the state level. Mm -hmm. But at the borough level, they have protections right now. Do those protections apply to the campus too? Those protections um, do not necessarily apply to the campus. Okay. Yeah, that, okay. Yeah, because I've been reading like a lot like Trump recently. Um, there was like Obama's push to have like transgender rights and that didn't go through. So they sort of discarded it and left up to the state. So... Obviously, I guess you could say that's happening more at the local level. Um, anyway, um, what, like, cause how long have you been campaigning? Like, has this been pretty long so far? Uh, so our campaign started with the filing of petitions back in February. Oh, really? Yeah. So to get on the ballot in the first place, you have to go around with a petition. For borough council, it's sort of like with UPUA. Right. People Got go around with petitions. Uh, you have to sign it. Uh, so for like local elections for borough council, I only needed 10 signatures, but they had to be 10 registered Democrats within the borough. So that made it a little bit harder because you have people who like might be your friends, might be registered Democrats, but they live like out past the borough, like out past College Heights area. So there's always the chance that someone's signature is going to get kicked. So our goal was 30 and I... Uh, succeeded with getting that goal mm -hmm. and so once i filed the petitions i had to get them notarized of course once i filed the petitions i was officially on the ballot and then campaigns kind of kicked off okay so is that are you on like a democratic ticket then 
Yeah, I am on the Democratic ticket because PA does have close primaries. I can't right. cross file. So I am on the Democratic ticket, but Republicans can also write me in mm-hmm. on that side. If they do feel strongly about student issues, I do encourage them to write me in. And independence, um, <laughs> it's a tricky situation. <laughs> they can take either side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky situation for independence with PA close primaries. So Yeah. Yeah, that's always complicated. Like when I, I I wanted to be an independent, but I had to register with a party so I could vote because, you know, the way the like I said, it's closed primary here, so I actually have some say. So it's a complicated process. But um, also, like, so you said you're a Democrat. Have you had like a history of being involved with college Democrats, you know, stuff like that? Has that like helped you in this if you have been involved? So I am somewhat involved in Democrats. I've been more involved in College Progressives of Penn State, which is a new club here on campus and that was formerly students for sanders right yeah it was sort of like the aftermath of students for sanders but now instead of focusing on the bernie sanders campaign focusing on progressive values in general Mm -hmm. and then i actually got a fellowship with the pa coordinated campaign in the fall for hillary clinton and then all of the democrats up and down the ticket for pennsylvania so i got to work closely with a couple of more local candidates like melody fleck was one that i had went door to door with a couple of times so that definitely helped a lot. Mm. So you definitely had a lot of experience just in the, like this past election cycle. Yeah. Yeah, because I know like quite a few friends that have, you know, on both sides, like campaign for Trump, campaign for Clinton, and they'd be going out knocking on doors like every day. Like it was, you know, for and for down ballot too. So it's, you know, I think that's good. Like anybody wants to get involved in politics, you know, definitely be a door knocker because, you know, I've heard so many stories <laughs> of the people you knock on and the reactions you get. And it builds like a, you know, greater, not only respect for being a door knocker, but for these campaigns as a whole. So, you know, I think, you know, it's great to do that type of experience. Um, so, I, like you say, you've done it since February. You've already, you know, been working on this. Like, what's been your greatest challenge doing this? Because obviously, you know, not, no offense, but not many people know about this election. Like, I didn't know about till I got the email saying that you were running for this position. I, you know, I learned a lot from it, which I think was great. But, you know, is that like a challenge trying to get people to know how this are you doing that like overall they're like what is the biggest challenge the biggest challenge is definitely awareness not a lot of students see like it's not that they don't care about elections but local elections just aren't as publicized as the fall election like the presidential election was had a lot more traction i mean obviously this year it was definitely uh quite a heated election that oh, drew yeah. a lot of attention but Um, local elections don't seem to draw as much steam, as much attention, and it's hard to get students motivated about voting in general. Just Mm. young people in general, it's hard to motivate to vote unless they've already formed that habit. So it's been hard to make people aware, but we've been, like, storming on social media. We've just been talking to people, going to as many events as we can. Now that UPUA elections are done, and that's sort of, like, Mm. That cycle's done. yeah. So now it's easier for me to get out to people like before UPUA elections were over, people would keep asking me, oh, is this for UPUA? And I have to be like, no, this is for borough council. <laughs> and then you get the question, well, what what's that? borough council? Yeah. So awareness has been a big issue that we've been trying to overcome. Yeah. Yeah, I understand because I, yeah, I didn't even know there was a borough council. So, but, you know, at least, you know, if anything, because you're connecting with the students more, which is your goal. So you're definitely accomplishing that even though you haven't even gotten in there yet. So definitely expand the uh, base there Um, because I read online actually only uh, that only like in these like regular cycles for borough council only about four percent of even the borough actually votes for this 
So you know, do you, like who? I I who's your rival? Um, oh, there's a Republican ticket, right? There's a Republican ticket, but it only has two candidates as okay. of now. Um, I don't actually consider any of the Republican candidates my rival. I don't really consider any of the candidates rivals to me mm-hmm. because I do feel like a lot of them would be good fits for council. It's just that we're all trying to represent like different parts of like the constituency. Right. So I don't view many like anyone as like my true rival per se. So um, just so I make sure I was clear, are you running then against people on the Democratic side? Yes. Okay. Uh, so. Are they? Are there? There's no other students that are running on that ticket. Uh, there's a graduate student running on the ticket, but at the same time, the graduate student world and the graduate student needs are totally different from the needs of an undergraduate student. So I think it would be great to see both of us elected to borough council because there mm-hmm. are three seats open, so that True. graduate students get representation as well as undergraduates. So. Is that where you're trying to separate yourself from the candidates? Because obviously in a type of race like this, you got to separate yourself from the pack. You know, that's what, like, for instance, Bernie Sanders did by being, you know, anti-establishment, Trump being anti-establishment too. Are you trying to separate yourself from the pack, you know, in that way? I definitely am. I am trying to separate myself in the way of just, like, showing, even though I am young, I am very opinionated, (laughs) I have a decent amount of experience and I have a lot of ideas that I'd love to bring to the table so I'm hoping that my fresh ideas and my age really separate me and make me stand out from everyone else okay um one major thing I really want to touch on uh when I was in you know researching for this uh bug pack uh apparently didn't endorse you um first of all I'm still confused what is bug pack <laughs> I, I found out how they call it, got their name but like what are they exactly so Bug Pack is a pro-student pack that was started by the former president of GPSA, uh, the Graduate and Professional Student Association, and the former president of UPUA, which is the undergraduate student government. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was basically to endorse candidates that they deemed to be pro-student. Mm-hmm. But this had been something that they've been working on behind closed doors for, they said, six months. Like You can go online to the Underground article and read their statements on it. The thing, I think bug pack is a good idea. I think endorsing pro-student candidates in local government races is a great idea. Mm-hmm. The thing that troubled me is they didn't get outside student input. Right. And they didn't even reach out to me, the student candidate running, to say, hey, we'd love to sit down with you and talk about your platform, even if it wouldn't have like resulted in endorsement. Mm-hmm. The fact that they still didn't reach out to the student running it's kind of troubling to me because if they aren't going to reach out to the student candidate running, if they aren't going to reach out for other student input, are they ever going to reach out for other student input? Right. Because just because they say that they're pro student, it doesn't necessarily mean that they represent all student interests because there are a lot of students who felt left out of this bug pack message. And even the community members, they felt kind of ambushed by this. Yeah, I understand that because, like, I was reading into it and, you know, like, they were saying that UPUA does not endorse candidates in general. Bug Pack, which, is, like you said, is, like, kind of a part of them, kind of isn't, um, you know, didn't endorse you. But like you said, they're, you know, kind of, like, for the students, it sounds like, and they didn't endorse you, which kind of surprised me. So is that on a policy basis or just they didn't feel like it? or? So if you would look at um, the Underground article, there are specific quotes, and I don't remember them, so I'm going to not quote them. Oh, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I'm not going (laughs) to quote them like word for word or anything. But 
when they sat down and interviewed Terry Ford and asked him why he didn't endorse me, he said it was because he felt that I lacked the state college experience that I needed <laughs> to be on borough council, uh, which is kind of funny to me because I actually grew up an hour south of here. And my mom oh, actually wow. lives right outside the borough. My parents are separated, <laughs> so I lived with my dad. But my mom lives in Overlook Heights, which is right outside of that line where the borough, like where the borough boundaries are. And uh, most of my family members have went to Penn State. So to say I'm not a part of like the state college, Penn State community is kind of funny to me. Yeah. But that was his argument. And then Kevin Horan, the chair mm. of Bug Pack, said um, that he felt I was more qualified than anyone except Evan Myers currently on council. So it's odd to me that even though I'm more qualified than most of the people on council right now, I still couldn't get a meeting with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I was for, yeah, like, yeah, I was reading that, I read that article and I was like really confused because, you know, like you said, like, you know, they, they, they say it for students, they're saying, you, you know, you're not, you know, well experienced with that. And I'm like, well, you know, you can make some other arguments, but that doesn't make sense. You know, just coming from my perspective, not really knowing, you know, policies about this type of stuff. Um, so we're going to be on here for about a couple more minutes. I'm going to let my other guest in, but, um, I just want to give you like a few minutes, just give one final sort of pitch to people like, you know, maybe why they should vote for you, what separates you from them. Um, cause I know it's like building this conversation that you're definitely, um, you know, a student that's really trying to get this position, you're really trying harder, three, uh, positions for it. And, uh, you know, like to get people more informed to maybe understand them like what's your final pitch to the Penn State community so my final pitch to the Penn State community students especially make sure you apply for your absentee ballots now don't wait because sometimes they can get lost in the mail and then you have to reapply so make sure you apply for your absentee ballot now and mail it back in as soon as possible the mm -hmm. deadline to mail them back in is May 12th that's the Friday before the primary election day. So you obviously want to mail it back in before you go home. Make sure you get it done before finals week so you don't have to stress out about it. And really think hard about who is going to actually represent the student community, who is going to sit down with you and listen to you and listen to what you have to say when you go to make these votes. Because the job of the government is to listen to your problems and to mm -hmm. try to solve them. They're not there to make decisions without your input because you are their constituency. You are the people who put them in office. Right. So it's their duty to listen to what you have to say and take your input into consideration. So I really think that when you go and vote in this primary, you should think about who is actually going to listen to the students. Okay, that's great. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I'm just going to leave my final word in there. I thought that was great. But I've noticed that in a lot of governments like general that there's a huge disconnect between people because like i've had my parents like you know whenever some they don't like they immediately call up their congressman like call up their senator call up this guy yeah. you know so maybe you're gonna get quite a few calls once you get elected but hopefully not hopefully everything goes well <laughs> but you know it's always going to be people love you and don't love you but you know that's always a hard job to take because of that reason but yeah i think that's you know definitely trying to get more connected with people i think is a great thing especially being a penn state student mm -hmm. um i think that's you know definitely very unique and if you win it's definitely a historic win um so we'll see how that turns out when is the election actually so the election is may 16th that's two weeks after finals week so Ooh. unless you're here for may master or you're just sticking around 
you probably won't be here to vote. So please apply <laughs> for your absentee ballots. Even if, if you're changing addresses for the summer, still apply for your absentee ballot because you'll be registered at your old address. Okay. So students obviously change addresses a lot. So yeah. like we saw the really big push for like voter registration with people with clipboards in the fall. Oh yeah, how could yeah. I forget? <laughs> yeah, I was one of those people. Sorry guys. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> but uh, you'll still be registered at your old address. And unless like you already moved, you can't change your address on your voter registration. So I really encourage you to still fill out the absentee ballot application if you're moving for the summer, but you're still gonna be here. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on, Riley. It was great having a yeah. conversation with you. Thank um, you for having me. Yeah, no problem. We learned a lot from this. I think very informative. Back with Real News Radio, and I'm joined by another guest, two guests today, uh, Mr. Alex. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty swell. How about yourself? Pretty good. Um, what we're going to talk about today is Syria because that's obviously the big story of the week and trigger warning I'm going to give a pretty long rant on this and then I'm going to let you probably rant because <laughs> this has obviously pushed a lot of buttons on people so if you haven't kept up on the news basically uh, there was a chemical weapons attack in Syria 75 uh, men women children were killed in the attack Trump uh, met with Jordan's king right I think like right after that, he was on the same day or the day after, and he made a few comments saying, you know, Assad's action cannot be tolerated. It's now my responsibility, obviously, since it was Obama's, now it's his. Um, and then Rex Tillerson came out and made some rather, I don't want to say conflicting, but a little confusing for some people, uh, his messages he was saying. He was basically saying that uh, there's not going to be a war, but maybe a political removal of Assad. Maybe. We really don't know. Um, but Friday night, wait, no, not Friday, sorry, Thursday night, uh, surpri Trump surprised us all by launching 60 missiles, roughly, to hit the Syrian air base where chemical weapons were supposedly believed to have been sent. 20 planes were destroyed. That number just came in today. And, I, again, I was shocked to see that happen. But like Trump said, he doesn't announce when he's going to do military action. It's... Um, you know, for him, it's all action, no talk. And when that happened, I've never seen the biggest freak out from the Trump base ever over Trump. It was extremely, extremely weird. His base literally split in half after that. Um, to be clear, I personally am not crazy about these attacks, but I actually approve of it. I think it was smart. I think it set precedent of strength because it was so hilarious Trump being the troll he was doing his 4D chess. <laughs> he did this while he was eating dinner with China's president. Like they were just eating and like, you know, he launched like, cause he met with his team right beforehand. He goes to eat with China's um, pr uh, president at dinner. And if you watch the video that's posted on the White House YouTube channel, you see him smile at the president and he holds it for like three seconds. I'm like, that's the moment he's telling him, you do not realize what's happening right now. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious, but kidding aside, this was a precedent of strength. That's the few words I'm going to sum this at, up as. Precedent of strength. He didn't, I don't know the casualty level. It could have been nothing. I don't know if anybody was really killed or wounded, but he just bombed an airbase. Simple airbase, simple runway, not really, you know, it was really a fairly innocuous attack. 
there wasn't much. He's not. He didn't really bomb. You know the government's headquarters. Um, and but he's trying to send a message. I think that's why he did this. Now many are going on the Trump base are freaking out over this, which I said is the weirdest freak I've ever seen. Are because they're super intervention. You know, uh, non-interventionists. They want to be totally isolated. A lot of libertarians are definitely on that side with this. But I. <sighs> Again, I want to be. I don't want to get involved in all these countries either. But at the same time, I think he took advantage of this opportunity. He took advantage of a time when he could strike without getting involved, really, and send a message that, "Hey, I'm drawing the red line of sand, and I mean it. I'm gonna make act. If I say I'm gonna do action, I'm gonna do action." Because this hasn't been his first hundred days yet. He's still in that first. You know, uh, I think he's only. I think he's around seventy right now. He's not. In, he's not completed hundred days. He's already in his first stretch of the presidency. Set a big, powerful, strong tone that Obama didn't set. Obama did nothing for eight years after thousands were killed. Seventy-five people were killed in a. Trump's few days, he bombed them. <laughs> That's the difference that we're seeing. It's sending the message to not only Assad, but to China, to Iran, to North Korea, don't F with us. That's what it is. Don't screw with us. Don't F with us. That's basically the message. I think they all got it. Um, and it also proves he's not Putin's puppet. <laughs> yes, he did. People are like, oh, but he warned the Russians. Yeah, you're not gonna bomb the base and kill the you know the second greatest superpower, biggest superpower in the world. No, of course he's gonna warn them. He doesn't want to start war. Is that that's just proof right there? He doesn't want to start World War Three. And he's not Putin's puppet because Putin condemned this. He doesn't like this at all. If he was with the Russians and in bed with Putin, like everybody thinks he's in this bromance, he wouldn't have done this. Uh, to me, it was a proactive action for. No, because he want a proactive action really to prevent any other conflict, any other threat against us. He doesn't want to get involved anywhere. And this kind of sets the bar, sets high, sets it strong, saying, don't screw with us. Don't do it, or we're going to strike back. Don't want to do it, but we will. And that's why he did this now, I think, because he doesn't really, nothing really changes. Of course, Assad's going to have to spend a little bit of money to get more planes, but he's not killing like millions of people. You know, and don't forget, Obama was bombing Syria. I mean, he was bombing ISIS, not really the government, but he was still bombing Syria. And there were civilians killing that. Um, again, World War III isn't going to happen. I saw so many people freaking out on social media. I saw Paul Joseph Watson, Ann Coulter, Laura, Laura Ingram, Laura, uh, Lauren Sutherland too, I believe. All these you know, pro-Trump people and Stefan Molyneux that hated this. Paul even tweeted, I- I'm, done with the, you know, I'm done with this. I'm off the Trump train. I was shocked to see that. He's kind of calmed down a bit now, but still, I'm surprised to see that. But to me, this is more proactive for the safe zones, especially because then you can, you know, you don't have to worry about Assad having 20 planes that could, you know, attack it. Hopefully, they, they'd be dumb to do that to begin with. But let's say they do a chemical attack on there. Now they can't do it. He whacked all those planes out. Now he can start negotiation from a position of strength, get the safe zones, and make everyone happy. Um... Uh, I'm gonna say a couple of things real quick. Then I'm have Alex. If you guys know, I've been speaking very long, but this is a you know to me, I'm ranting really hard on this because it's it's baffling me how people have been freaking out. But they gotta realize that Trump 
he's not an ideologue. He's not this neocon. He's not this guy you can fit in this one label, this one category. And when he doesn't do it, people think, I think people have a different perception of him that he is. And when he doesn't, it confuses them. They freak out. They're like, oh, he wasn't what we thought. Oh, he's flexible. Yeah, he is. He said, because he's a businessman. He's not a uh, politician. He's a CEO, first and foremost. He's a businessman. He realizes that when you get more information, when the environment changes, you have to adapt to that. You shouldn't be sticking to an ideology that's wrong for hundreds of years. You got to change it in the first year and you realize that, oh crap, it's actually not the case. I'm wrong. Rather be, he wants, like he'd say, he wants to win, 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 and you're going to get tired of winning. That's what he wants. He wants to win. Um, it, to me, people just are looking at us a little too simplistically. Um, but you know, there's also I'm a you know, there's also like sort of uh, they're now investigating that Russians have possibly been involved in the chemical attacks. I mean, that's that would be really scary if that's the case. I don't really think that, but who knows? But last thing I'm gonna say um, is that I think this is a good thing. I think he was looking at his like any businessman, the costs and the benefits. He saw that the benefits outweighed the cost so he went for the attack um should be interesting to see how this plays out because i think everybody's jumping conclusions after hadn't even been 24 hours when i saw some of our friends freaking out or some people online freaking out and i was like guys let's just hold it on let's just wait a bit how you know these things take a while to um to develop and to evolve or not evolve in some cases so i think we should all wait that's my initial reaction I gave like a seven-minute rant, so I'm now going to hand over to Alex. Alex, what do you think of this? Well, I think that this was the best option. I think this was the best option that uh, Donald Trump had, given the circumstances of the um, of the conflict going on over there. On the one hand, if he did not do the attack, he may not have been get, like his base may not have criticized him. But then you go and see the uh, the war hawks in the in Congress start John McCain. Out. And especially during the uh, Gorsuch, Gorsuch, well, what's his name? I, I Gorsuch. Gorsuch. Yes, sorry. I, I'm, I don't know how I'm going to pronounce his name. Gorsuch yeah, during his uh, SCOTUS nomination. And that would, have, that, that would have been the centerfold. But what Trump did was a brilliant political maneuver because no one was talking about the Gorsuch nomination during that time period. Right. They were talking about the Syrian attack. Right. And they were flipping out over that, so they didn't go. No, it it went off without any real. It made like a fizzle in the news, but everyone else was caring about Syria. Hmm. And you have to go, and you know, uh, Obama drew that line in the sand, and it's it was still the United States, and that's still our policy. Every four years, we can't just go and like rapidly change, change the way that we do things. You know, we have to go and follow at least something of a something of a path when we deal with one country, or else like. Every election cycle, they it'll be a completely different person that they'd be dealing with. Right. So he kind of had to go and enforce that line in the sand that Obama touted. True. Because he's the leader of the United States, and you know you can't just go and and renege on your deals. Mm-hmm. And another thing is, is these Trump supporters who <laughs> have just went so far to go and like attack their own fellow Trump supporters. Yeah. For following Trump, you know, yeah. I've seen people light their like their hats on fire. on fire. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? This is one move. We are not at war with Russia. We just did an attack. What, like, we're not? <laughs> like, like, one attack like that. That's seriously, it's, it's like a flash in the pan. It's yeah. nothing. And, you know, I don't even know if, 
Like, personally, I don't know if it was a false flag or not. I'm not going to go and say yes or no if this was a false flag attack. But, mm. you know, even if it was, everyone's been, they would have still, if Donald Trump didn't do anything, the left would have been like, oh, he's colluding with Putin or else he would have made action. They would have criticized him for that. So even if it was a false flag attack, he'd either have to come up with indisputable proof that it was and somehow convince the entire United States side or do action or else he'd be called literally enabling Hitler <laughs> because these guys are, ja are gassing their own Hitler. people. And that's what we would hear. And, and then now people just don't understand it. Like the Trump, like half of these Trump base, I don't even know if these are like real Trump supporters who are attacking, mm. who are attacking Trump. Now these guys seem like they, they just were in it for the memes. <laughs> like they didn't actually care about Trump. And as soon as, you know, he was done getting elected, they just want, they were like, Republic, they're they're more or less Republicans in names only. You know, they're the, the crazy the crazy sect of like I don't know, like the super libertarians. Yeah. And that's what really upsets me. The, the libertarian philosophy. You know, <laughs> it's good on go. paper, but it's it just doesn't. It's impractical. Work. It's impractical. But these yeah. people, they've called me everything under their sun. They called me the human incarnation of a cuckoo bird. <laughs> you know, they've. They've called me a baby boomer, which doesn't make any what? sense. Yeah, I've been I've been labeled a baby boomer. <laughs> I didn't know you were that old. Why didn't you I tell didn't me? I didn't know either. <laughs> Apparently, I was an extra forty years old. But wow, you know, tell, old. Uh, tell it to some people. And uh, yeah, so I think what Trump did was necessary, and it sets a good precedent to um, you know to Xi Jinping in China <laughs> to uh, China. the Korea the, this where the North Korean guy is Kim Jong Un. To the crazy Iranian dude, you know, you can't be, we're not Obama anymore. We're actually yes. going to do something. We're going to enforce the law. And you know what? If if the Syrians really didn't like, if they really didn't want to go and be attacked, then they shouldn't have signed treaties saying that they got rid of their chemical right. weapons, saying they wouldn't use chemical weapons, and then proceeding to use chemical weapons. We have, it's against the Geneva Convention. They've had multiple treaties signed saying that they won't use it them specifically that they gave their nuclear stock their not nuclear stockpile their uh, chemical weapons stockpile to the united mm -hmm. nations so for them to do this you know they violate a contract and they're paying the consequences and all in all it wasn't even that big of a deal like yeah i, I think at most like seven combat like seven people died and they were all military combatants yeah so you know it's it's nothing it's, it's an absolute flash in the plane. Whereas during the Obama presidency, you know, we end up having a missile go fly off somewhere and hit a hospital and kill 50 yeah. innocent people. Yeah. So I don't see how people can criticize this. You know, was it the best? Was it the best thing he could have done? Like, was it a good thing? I mean, mm. he was in the position where he had two options and both of them were bad. And, mm. you know, using his judgment, this was the least negative option. Sometimes you got to do that. You know, if you get, like, a porcupine quill stuck in you, sometimes it's better just go and push it all the way through and get out without hitting a major organ than try ripping it out because the barbs will, uh, yeah. will hurt you more. So you keep, that's that's what's happening here. The the quill, the porcupine yeah. quill that hit Donald Trump was a Syrian <laughs> war, and the only way to go and to get out of it would be to see it through to the end because if he just backs out now, you know, it's going to affect our position polit politically across the entire Middle East, if not the entire world. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it was good. I already forgot uh, what you mentioned, Alex. Like the false flag reports. Like there were people like Scott Adams. Um, I think Rand Paul came out saying it's a false flag, and I, 
see, and Alex Jones, I think, was saying the same thing. Of course, he was. But, you know, when I first heard that, I was, you know, because it didn't really make sense. Like, why would Assad randomly bomb his own people, basically, or maybe mistakenly, after he's been winning so far? Oh, you could, that's subjective, I could say, winning, because he's been winning the war against ISIS, but not necessarily winning, you know, the battle he's out of his people, um, you know, metaphorically. But at the same, like, I, I was suspicious. And I've always been suspicious when the government tells me this happened, that happened. I've always been skeptical. But this case, you know, if you really think about it, we're applying rational, normal reasoning to a crazy man, a dictator. And if you try to, everybody tries to do that with all these people. They try to apply it to Kim Jong-un. They try to apply it with him. And I don't think in all these cases you can do that. I think maybe, uh, you know, Assad, I don't think he's dumb. I think he's crazy. But I don't think he's dumb. And I think he does stuff, obviously, it's inhumane. But I, when he could have, you know, theoretically done this at a crazy time to deliberately make it look like it was the enemy. Because everybody jumped on that ship of why would he do it? You know, there's no way he'd do this. Why would he do it now? It doesn't make sense. Well, you know, maybe he's maybe doing his own sort of version of like 7D chess. It's a very you know disturbing version of 7D chess that he's trying to kill his own people by making it look you know crazy that he wouldn't so crazy that he wouldn't be the one doing it. So I think that's definitely a case. But if you're not on our side with this, if you're a little confused, read Scott Adams' blog. He put a post there of like seven reasons why he sees you know the benefits he sees out of this, and they're really really good reasons. And I think everyone should read that. Look into that. It's, uh, great one but um what's interesting like you mentioned like the little bit of coverage with gorsuch there's also been very little coverage of the terrorist attacks you know um we had one on i think it was monday was the one st petersburg in the metro station and then just uh today or the other day was the one in sweden oh yeah that was today right i think I, i don't really pay much attention you know they're going on all the time in europe yeah, and this is what happens like every when week. you have open borders to <laughs> radical Islamic extremist countries. And you just let people like this come into your country. Yeah, you know that's their. That's why we don't. I mean, we have you know we had occasional terrorist attacks, but you know it's much less than they have in Europe. So I don't really know what we can do. But what really upsets me the most about this whole conflict is people are making Assad to be out like some sort of Christ-like figure. Like he yeah, fights. it's really weird. Assad is your friend. He fights for freedom. No, he's not. He's a terrible dictator. Like, he's no better than, you know, Robert Mugabe or, like, Saddam was. They're all terrible people. Yeah, now, yeah. Now, should we go and necessarily try to go and destroy, to kill Remove him? Remove him. Like, that's a, that's a separate discussion, but he's by no means a friend of the people. Like, after Trump launched a strikes, people were changing their Facebook pictures to Donald yeah. Trump. People were sending out praise because, finally, somebody did something, and hopefully... Assad got the message. Hopefully, he doesn't do any more of these attacks because this really, you know, it's it's a it'll hopefully just go in shock and be like, okay, we can't keep on doing this. So, you know, and after the war, something needs to happen. I think he agreed. I read somewhere that he agreed after the war that he'll go and uh, they'll have free elections. I don't think that's no, it's not gonna happen. You know, he might say it is. It's gonna be like what happened. You know, in any sort of dictator country. Where they have free elections, like seventy percent of the people free. are going to are going to vote for, going to vote for him, even though like none of them actually do. They're going to go and hack. They're actually going to hack the elections in their yeah. countries. 
And by Russian hackers. <laughs> well, that that's why, like, I always put in quotes, free elections, because they're not really free. Like, like I remember when he won, it was like he got like 90% of the vote. <laughs> 97%. I'm like, come on. You know, not everybody would vote for him that much. And I don't even know if he had an opponent. Like, I don't understand how their elections work now. But, um, yeah, like you said, it's really bizarre that to see on the right, who always tries to be the good Christian, you know, the clutch in their Bible in one hand, they're clutching their gun in the other, like, you know, no more war, no more, you know, uh, fighting, uh, but we don't want anybody that's gonna, you know, uh, kill kids or do, you know, sarin gas. Like, so they're on that, like, you know, that moral side of we we don't want to send our kids to war, which I agree. I don't want to start war. It always leads to bad and worse conditions. But then they also always say, you know, what he's doing is bad. And it's so bizarre to me to see his total 360-degree turn from Assad's a bad dude, but we got to leave him in because whatever we put in is going to be worse, to now Assad's actually fighting for freedom. Assad's actually a good guy. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? I mean, of course, like they say, you can't – they haven't proven these you know, sarin gas attacks were done by him, but he's been doing them. He has a history of it. He's a dictator. He's a sick guy. You know, I mean, I don't understand it. Well, another thing that really upsets me is like, oh, we really don't want to go to war and this stuff. Well, you know, in the United States, we don't have a draft. If you really do not want to go and fight over there, you have all the power to determine, like, are you going to, I mean, yeah, you could get, you still got to go and pay a little bit for it, but you're not actually fighting and dying unless you really, unless you're actually in the war, unless you go and volunteer for the army or SEALs or Air Force or whatever. So... You know, it's kind of on them. You know, if you really don't want to die in Syria, you really don't have to join up to the military and do that. You know, it's um, if you disagree with it, you know. Well, it's like George Carlin has a good bit on this about war. And like, I can't say how fix has got so many explicit, you know, words in it. But uh, the one, one part I do remember when you mentioned that he says like, you know, how do we stop wars? Don't go to them. You know, people, don't volunteer. Don't go. Just don't, you know? If the government doesn't have the troops, who are they going to send? Their kids? No. Are they going to send our kids? Yeah. Do we? If we don't go, more the other's not going to be a war. Now, I mean, of course, that's very simplistic, but he makes a simple point, which is that, you know, people, yeah, I think, again, I don't want any wars or anything, but right now it's a voluntary system. Could a draft be put out there? Uh, Yeah. They can still do it, but they're never going to do it after Vietnam. They'd be nuts. Like, you saw the reaction then. If they did today, we'd go crazy. I would say the only way that draft would um, would happen again would be if we had a uh, if we had like an actual World War Three scenario yeah. where we were invaded. But other than that, I don't think we we're going to be going and drafting people to fight off in like you know the Middle East or North Korea unless you know we've been nuked. Yeah. I mean, if we get nuked, I oh, mean... Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine if we did get nuked, we'd probably have a lot more people, too. We would send 50 nukes at whoever sent them. <laughs> you know, like, we... Debl- That's the thing about nukes that people forget, is that everybody builds up their nuclear arsenal because that guy has it. That guy has it. You know, that guy's got 10 nukes. Crap, I gotta get 20 nukes. Because if you don't have any, they see you as weak and invadable. And they... I don't think they do, but let's say... Um, for instance, uh, North Korea, who's a crazy man, but he's not entirely dumb, but he's crazy. So that's a scary bit. But let's say Kim Jong-un sends a nuke on the U.S. 
He knows that we nuke him back, that his country would be flatter than Las Vegas after that. It would be so empty, not a you know cockroach would be alive. It would just be gone. Does he want that? Does he want to be dead? No. So why is he going to fire nukes? I don't see that as happening. But like I said, if that did happen, you'd probably see a draft. Well, I don't think North Korea would nuke the United States. That no. would be they'd go nuke South Korea before they did the United States because they're the people. You know, yeah. by the time we would see them launching the nuke from like half a world away, and by the time that they actually get over here, we'd have it shot down, and then we'd be sending troops over there. Well, we'd probably just like withdraw our troops, and I don't know. We'd probably just go and nuke yeah. them into orbit, or just go and invade them. But either way, I don't think China would actually help them if they if they nuke the United States. Like, I mean, recently I heard that China was actually starting to get upset with the North Koreans because they've been uh, they've been renewing like artillery attacks or something against South Korea. I mean, they've been more they've been on and off at war for the past like you know fifty sixty years. Yeah, and they've just been increasing the amount of uh, amount of attacks they're doing. And how long is it going to really last? Yeah, like I don't even want to think about. It. It'd just be crazy. That's all I can say is that it would be absolutely crazy. Like, if we had a, you know, like you said, it could last maybe a day. Would it last months, weeks? Like, I don't know. It's it's a it's a scary scenario, but it's probably one of the, if, if it were to happen, it'd be the craziest war ever because it'd be so unpredictable. So unpredictable. I mean, North Korea right now, they kind of seem like the incarnation of uh, George Orwell's 1984, <laughs> just like a it real is? country like that. Yeah. Because, you know, they have the people so, like, just brainwashed over there. They they get basically no food. Yeah, yeah. Only eat garment propaganda. Although, you know, the leftists might like it over there because, one, they're <laughs> communists. And, two, I, I heard somewhere, I heard from someone that they actually have legalized marijuana over what? there. What? So why don't we go and take all our, you know, our leftists, you know, our communists. And put them over there. Our socialists. Why don't we go send Bernie Sanders <laughs> over there? He, he got three houses over here recently. So why don't he just Bond get a one. vacation home in uh, North Korea? Yeah. Just go and live over there, you know? Yeah, maybe the war is warmer over there, you know? You it's know? more radioactive probably. Well, yeah, see, he, he'd really like it too because <laughs> there's like no white people over here. <laughs> so he would actually like that because it seems like he he loves he loves every other like spe- well I mean I don't know if they consider like Asian white cause, but because of the social justice hierarchy yeah they're not minorities anymore have you noticed that yeah like they're not they're really not like I heard that the uh, what was it, affirmative action they've actually had to go it's actually working against uh, Asian American students oh wow I mean yeah well, I, I saw that on Tucker there was a guy talking about that it was a really crazy story. Um, I'm going to wrap up in a few seconds here, but I'm going to get one qu- uh, final point about North Korea. Um, is that people forget how people are brainwashed there, how cr- really, like you said, it's 1984 in reality there. And I'm going to make a prediction right now. Nice guys, big time. When we finally have to do something about that country, when that f- country finally gets liberated, which who knows if that's ever going to happen, if it does, we're going to uncover so many horrors, so many modern day holocaust things going on that it's going to scare people that they that this was going on for the past 60 years that country i think's been around a lot longer than world war ii and a lot longer than the holocaust and the scale of it is going to terrify people because they have literally concentration camps modern day concentration camps where if you speak out against government as a normal citizen you're either shot on the spot if you're lucky or you're sent to those camps where you work for the rest of your life hoping you die because it's so terrible. There's so many torturous things done to you. 
it's just insane. Absolutely insane. Um, but I don't want to end on a sad note, but sadly I have to because we're out of time for today. Uh, thank you, Alex, <laughs> playing for playing with all the stuff in the studio. Um, oh, I love it. <laughs> um, th- anyway, thank you for coming on. We're going to sign off for today with Real News. I'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you.